your husband get booted out of the group? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, some of that, I won't say who had a little bit of a bad, bad attitude about me calling that the rice in your group last time they sang. You know? So it's, uh, we call it the RTP group now, right? Yeah. We'll get that a little later. All right. Um, but no, thanks for, uh, that was a great song. I enjoyed that. And it was a great day to serve the Lord, isn't it? Every day it is. Gives us the privilege to serve him. And uh, I did want to announce, uh, I forgot to, to mention about the, uh, the choir. I mean, tonight at 5 p.m. Got quite a bit of work to do in preparation for, uh, for, for the Christmas uh, uh, program there. And uh, so be here at 5 uh, p.m. for choir practice tonight if you're a part of that. Okay. This is the first time in a long time that I've, uh, that I've preached with uh, the old school notes out uh, here. I forgot my iPad today. Thankfully, the printer was working. Uh, I do always have the backup, you know, I got my Bible with me. So, as long as you got a Bible, you can always preach. But the notes, the notes help me, you know. Uh, I just have to make some preparations to, to depend a little bit on those. So, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, just uh, look at the God to teach us this morning. And uh, this is uh, this message. Is about Jesus. And you know, the more you look at Jesus, it astounds you every time. It's not something that you can just do it. You know, you do a study of a person once, and you kind of think you have a little bit of a handle on who they were, and, and uh, you're inspired by maybe some of their character qualities and some of the things they accomplished. Well, Jesus is just every time, it's just a new layer of wonder. And uh, just being remarkable. And so, as we look at this message today, I just want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to think about Jesus in relation to yourself. And I think that he's going to show us some things that here for the most part. Dear Lord, you are wonderful. In you, there is nothing that disappoints. People will let us down. They won't always meet up our expectations. Even those that we maybe look to the most at times will have their shortcomings. But with Jesus, with you, Lord, 100% of the time, you are wondrous. You're worthy of our full confidence. You are the friend who not only never forsakes us, but that actually laid down your life for us. And so, Lord, as we just seek to focus on you and preach Christ uh, this morning, may the Spirit of Christ be in our hearts what He only can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to start with uh, today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. tends to come out of you when you are treated unjustly? What comes out of most men or people when they are treated unjustly? What comes out of most men when they are in great pain? When they have been wounded in one form or another? What comes out of you when you have been wounded, when you are in pain? 
They say you can tell a lot about an individual when they're under great pressure. When a person is in pain, in rejection, in a place that is very uncomfortable, what comes out? Well, they say many times that's a test of, of our true character. When I talk about Jesus Christ, you know, I want to, I don't want to so much, uh, so much talk about what might come out of us in those times, because that might be a little discouraging overall. But look at the example of, of, of Jesus. He shows us some things in particular when he's on the cross. And it's remarkable because words really, they give us snapshots of, of our heart. And when we, when we look at Jesus in that time of great agony, really there's dying words that we're going to look at. And then of all times, I think we just have those, those kind of pruned down little microcosm <coughs> statements of the fullness of what was in Jesus' heart. Yeah, it's really remarkable. It's a, it's a wondrous thing. I mean, you can study the whole, the whole life of Jesus and, you know, be wowed over and over again. But even coming to that time when he, when he was, was hanging in great pain and agony with all the pressure of taking your sins, my sins, the sins of every human being that's ever lived, all that guilt upon himself, to still see in that setting where his heart was. This is powerful. It's incredible. The more I got into the study, because I was, going, I was going to take, well, you probably know how many statements we have of Jesus on the cross, and, and uh, you know, the, the number itself is, is interesting, because there's, there's seven particular statements that Jesus made then, uh, during the time when he was dying. And uh, the number seven, of course, is, is a picture in the Bible of, of completeness. It's a picture of that which... You know, God is, and man isn't, and all themselves, and, and that's an interesting number. But the more I got into it, I was going to do all seven of them in one message. And, uh, you know, I got into the first one, and I just thought, you know, we cannot do, in, in 30 minutes, I, I just couldn't see doing justice to, to all, all seven of those things. So, maybe two today, and uh, we'll see what happens in the coming uh, weeks, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, God is faithful. Would you agree with that this morning? Amen. God is faithful. By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is the primary fellowship we're to have, is with a faithful God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you have that fellowship down, then you can understand how to have other fellowship. And, uh, and, and so, God is faithful. And it says, now I beseech you, brethren... Talking to brothers and sisters, presumably, who would understand about this fellowship uh, of, of, of uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there uh, be no divisions among you. That's verse 10. But they be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. 
For it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that were of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And so to those who would seem to have the inside track in understanding the fellowship that we have with the faithful God and the fellowship that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you know, even when that hasn't been said, it has come to my attention that there's contentions among you as brethren. And he says, now this I say, that every one of you says, I, I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And so there was division that was coming about where there was this, uh, uh, this you know, identifying with this camp, or identifying with this person. Uh, I'm getting behind this individual. When the whole time, the attitude should have been, we're behind the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're following. He's the one that we're keeping our eyes on. He's the one that we primarily have fellowship with. And that's what Paul is, is talking about here. And then he, then he said, well, you know, some of you, some of you say, well, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm of Christ. But yet you're still part of the contentions. Then he says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? I mean, you say you're of Paul. You know, was Paul the one that died on the cross for you? Well, no, he couldn't because he didn't have the merits to do that. And I have, uh, uh, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We just had a baptism uh, recently, and, and uh, you know, the baptism was all about identifying with Jesus Christ. I'm following Jesus. I'm following the one that never lets me down. I'm following the one that has all the merits to say, you know, he's worthy of being followed. And uh, no person in all them, themselves can 100% be followed all the time. But yet, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, that keeps us in the right place with all these other relationships, even in the church. And then it says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christus and Gaius, lest that any of you should say, I have baptized in my own name. So Paul's saying, you know, even for the sake of... of Helping in this whole matter of keeping our eyes on Jesus, first and foremost. I didn't even try to, to gain status in that regard. Well, you know, Paul's the one who baptized me. So I didn't even want, I didn't even want to get into that, that sort of, uh, of scenario. And so I let others do the baptizing. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, besides I know not whether I baptized any others. So very few, Paul said, that I actually baptized. Verse 17 says, for Christ sent me not to baptize primarily, but to preach the gospel. So you know what? Why do we, why do we have so much preaching uh, in our church? Well, because that's the Bible way. That's the Bible way. Now, Peter, or Cephas, he was a preacher. Apollos was a preacher. Paul was a preacher. And their authority came from Jesus Christ. You know, they, were, they weren't perfect individuals, but yet they, they were preachers. They were preachers of what? Of the gospel. They were preachers of the fact that it was it's good news that we don't have to trust in man, whether it be you or somebody else. We can 100% trust in, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Because no human words can encapsulate, apart from the truth of the, the scriptures, cannot encapsulate what we have in Jesus Christ. Let's stick to the word of God. This is in verse 18. 
For the preaching of the what? Of the cross. You know what the main topic is to be? Of preaching in a biblical church? The preaching of the cross. You say, it seems like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of messages end up kind of sounding the same. Well, the cross is what we're going to major on. Because that's where the work was completed that makes all this relevant to begin with. I mean, yes, we can talk about, you know, what the Bible has to say about this part of your life and, and, and how to go about this and, and this practical measure. But what it really comes back to is none of that is of any word without the perspective of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's just a bunch of vain activity. For the preaching of the cross, it says, and to them that perish, it's, it's foolishness. In other words, you know, people who haven't come to the understanding of how the cross relates to every single one of us initially just might seem foolish to them. But do the perishing need the message of the cross? Yes. God loved. He gave His Son. He went to the cross. And whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. And so to, to, to the perishing, they need the message of the cross. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now you think about that. The very same message that made it so that you were saved from, from eternally being separated from God, not perishing, is the same message you need to look to for power in your life now as a believer. <coughs> you ever find yourself approaching that place of just being a miserable Christian? Where there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of power in your life? Well, it seems like you're slipping back into the same old patterns and, and attitudes and failures. You need to get back to the cross. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, but it's, it, we need to get back to the cross. <coughs> say, well, you know, how does that work? You know what? That sounds so mystical, sort of out there. Well, when we look at what, what the heart of Jesus when he was on the cross, I guarantee you, just that aspect of it will make a whole lot more sense when we need to get back to that. <coughs> uh, the struggles that we have, the contentions that were going on there in that church at, at, at Corinth. Was there any bigger contention going on in any setting in the world before, at that time or after, that could be compared to the tension and the contention that was going on in the spiritual realm, and even in the physical realm, in Jesus himself, in that time when he was on the cross? I would say no. I would say there was no bigger contention ever going on in the history of mankind. But yet, in the cross, at that time, when we look at Jesus' heart, it really gives us a perspective that nothing else can. It gives us a perspective that nothing else can. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What is the preaching of the cross? It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And we all have that tendency to say, well, you know, I can figure this out on my own, and I can go my own way here, and I have my own thoughts, and I have my own way of doing things, and I have my own perspective, and, uh, and we can just forge ahead for who knows how long in doing that. But the Bible says, you know, that all that wisdom of mankind, without ultimately the wisdom given himself and the message of the cross, it comes to nothing. It comes to nothing. 
Verse 20, it says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the fool foolish the wisdom of this world? Compared to the wisdom of God, are we going to say that, that, that anybody uh, with their notions attached from God are, 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 are to be called wise? There's no comparison. It's not even worth having a conversation, though. <laughs> the rhetorical question is, where is the wise? Where is the great writer? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so to, to many, preaching might seem like a foolish thing. And those people that go there every Sunday, you know, they listen to, to, to somebody, uh, you know, make these proclamations and, and do these speeches. But to those who understand that we're dealing with the very Word of God, and that we're dealing with the truths that come from the fact that that God saw us in our sorry condition, and He manifested Himself to us. Nobody can ever say, well, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't believe God because nobody's ever seen it. God manifested Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ coming to live amongst us. What greater manifestation could we have than that? It's preserved for us in the Word of God. We have historical and spiritual record of it. The manifestation of Jesus Christ. We teach about it. We proclaim it unashamedly. We have classes that are geared all to opening up who Jesus is and making it more clearly manifested to people. Why? So they can live the life that they're meant to live. Because of Jesus Christ and the power of what he did. God becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. So we preach about it. We proclaim it. We make no apologies for that. It says in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks uh, seek after wisdom. And God is it's good to, to pursue us and to work in our lives. But you know, ultimately it says here, but we preach Christ, what? Crucified. We preach Christ crucified. And, uh, you know, sometimes it may be, it seems like, man, you know, a little redundant on that. Why do we talk so much about, about Jesus and what he, what he did for us in that, uh, in, that, in, that, in that miserable, painful death of agony as a criminal? that he, he did for us. Well, because that's the greatest need of mankind. That's the story that everybody needs, ultimately. And we preach crucified under the Jews a stumbling block because they, they have rejected Christ uh, primarily to this, to this point. Not all, but most. Unto the Greeks, many times foolishness because they were all, the Greeks were all about, you know, elevating their intellectual status and, and they, were, they were humanists to the core. Uh, Basically, worshiping their own intellects. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, if you were to ever say, because we know that this is, it's, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek when we say, you know, the weakness of God. But just from the human perspective, if you were to ever say, you know, I, 
okay, if, if there was any time we'd see God in a place of weakness, it would be Jesus purposefully condescending himself to be a man. And then not only that, but allowing, allowing himself to be taken to a criminal's death in shame before everybody. But the Bible says that the weakness of God is stronger than man. And he put all the strengths of every human being put together throughout the ages. And it's nothing compared to the strength of what we see Jesus exude at that time as he died on the cross for you and I. I don't know what the impressions were on those around the cross that day. We're given we're given some glimpses into it, you know, the different people that were there and the centurion and, and how uh, he ultimately reacted. We've got to look specifically uh, today if we, if we, we get to it, not uh, next week, Lord willing. Uh, someone who's right dying the same sort of death as Jesus right next to him. And just many who, who observed Jesus at that time. He said, you know, it would have been really interesting. To have been there and to have seen it for myself. But do you realize how remarkable it is for us to have the preserved word of God that gives us the, 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 the accounts that we can look at today? And in our mind's eye, you know, as, as we let the, the, the setting kind of come alive to us, we can say, wow, I almost feel like I am there right now. And I can almost hear, you know, Jesus saying these things. And I can picture it. The framework in which he says it. And that makes it all the more meaningful and all the more uh, powerful to me. So let's see. Let's see if we can do that a little bit uh, this morning by God's grace. What I've read, usually the words of those who hung on a in the Roman cross, because it was it was meant to, it was meant to embarrass, to subdue, to set an example, to shame anybody who would dare challenge Rome. And what I was saying, usually the words of one who hung on a Roman cross, you know, consisted of maybe deranged cries of pain because it was such a painful death. They just go out of their minds. Futile requests for mercy. And even curses against God and the ones, the ones who had put them on that cross. But remarkable, we don't see Jesus doing any of them. Let's look at the first word of Jesus upon the cross. Uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. It says in verse 33, Luke 23, verse 33. I encourage you not to be passive readers here, but to be active thinkers and, and let your imagination come alive as much as possible. And it says, And when they would come to the place, which is called Cal uh, Calvary, there they crucified him in the male factor of the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast his lot. Now, when you see that phrase there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, it almost doesn't fit the setting at this point. I mean, you see these, these, these three individuals that are portrayed as criminals, and they're, they're, they're being served their death sentence in front of everybody. 
And not only is it a death, and I mean, we have, you know, we have the death penalty in some places still, but it's, it, it's, for the most part, it's a pretty quick thing. Right? It's designed to go quickly. This was designed to go as slowly and as torturously, but to still arrive at the end's meaning as possible. And so, to hear in that setting, in that framework, at that time, a man say, would you please forgive them? Would you please not be too hard on the ones who put me up here? That's remarkable. That's astounding. Hearing the first word of that is astounding. Think of it. What's the first word of Jesus that we hear when he's put in this place of tremendous pain? Father. His attention goes right to his father. And I think of times, you know, when, when I'm treated unjustly, which definitely Jesus was here. When I'm wounded, when I'm hurt, when I'm in a place where I'm not comfortable. What comes out of my heart first? That's a good question for all of us. I mean, Jesus is our supreme example. And he was so tuned in to his relationship with his father that even in that setting, what was his first thought? Father. I'm in a man of prayer, whether at ease or not at ease, and in this time of the most difficult uh, time, uh, uh, setting for me, most difficult circumstances, I'm going to continue to be a man of prayer. I'm going to continue to be a man of prayer. Father. And not only that, but he's thinking about the very people that are harming him. And he's wishing, uh, really, a blessing towards them. And we know that Jesus preached these things, right? I mean, compared to what he's going through right now, he preached them in times of relative ease and comfort. Maybe he's standing, you know, on a shoreline or up on a boat, or it's pretty a nice day, presumably, because there's crowds of people out there. And uh, he's kind of in that setting that he had created, maybe enjoying that and, and enjoying the opportunity to share truth. And he shares things, you know, like uh, be, you know, be a blessing to your enemies. You know, bless them to curse you. Uh, try, try to be a blessing to people are struggling so much that they're, that they're not being a blessing. <laughs> and all those things are great. I mean, you know, you, you hear preaching and, and, you know, sometimes when you hear a human being preach those things, it's almost like you don't want to scrutinize their life too carefully because they're going to kind of blow away the whole message, you know, after they preach it. But does that happen with Jesus? When you have every excuse, humanly speaking, to lash out at those that put him up there unjustly. And he had all the wherewithal to do that. I mean, we think about it, and, 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 you know, and it sounds great. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he could have. <laughs> he could have. But he didn't. And his first thought was, Father, would you forgive them? Because they don't totally understand what they're doing. Do you know what, when, a, when, a, when a father is angry in his household and abuses at one level another the ones that he's supposed to be looking out for as a husband or a dad? 
You know, I, I think that most of the time they don't realize the damage they're doing. You know, when when we when we treat a young person unkindly in our church, I don't think we really realize the damage of it. When we do something that's a terrible testimony, whether it's an action, or whether it's in our attitude, or whether it's in something that we say before people who need to see Jesus in us, and we're a terrible testimony in front of them, I don't think sometimes we realize the fullness of the damage that we do. And whatever it is that we can look at is the ugliness of mankind, and certainly there was a lot of ugliness going on here. This was, a, this was a very ugly setting. They were mocking him. They had already beaten him. They had given him a mock of a trial. They had falsely accused him of all kinds of things. Kind of like we go around falsely accusing sometimes today. They had falsely accused him to 100% of the measure. He had never done anything wrong. Never. But yet in that setting, he looked and he said, You know, Father, I don't think they realize the degree of ugliness that they're involved in right now. Would you forgive them now, Lord? Would you forgive them? It's a powerful picture into Jesus' heart. When the fortunes of Jesus seem to be at their darkest, when he seemed to be overcome by a pack of wolves, when he was sinking into the abyss of pain and desertion, he still said, Father. He still says Father. And I think of our theme for this year, you know, that all these things are working together, right? All the circumstances God has allowed in our life are working together to do what? To conform us to His image. To make us more like Jesus. And that would seem like such a trite thing. It would seem like, you know, God is almost just like being trivial with us. Because you know some of the hard things you've been through. And I, I can't probably even totally identify with some of the things maybe you're going through even right now. You've been some, through some difficult, painful things. And for somebody to, you know, just flippantly say, well, you know, that's all working out for your good. Don't worry about it. You know, that would seem kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> but when Jesus says that, totally different, isn't it? Because look at him. Look at him. He's saying, in your darkest hours, can you remember that I love you? Can, I, can, you, can you remember that I forgive you? Could you remember that I want to use those to make you more like I am? Because what Jesus did there was much more powerful than if he'd have lashed out from the cross. Now, he could have, you know, gotten, we might say, humanly speaking, his own way by doing that at that time. Just like sometimes we can assert ourselves and get our own way. But you know what was more powerful? It was much more powerful than to say, God, would you, would you continue to work in my lives? Would you overlook this to a certain degree? 
I mean, for God not to have forgiveness at that point, you know what that would have looked like? You know what it would have looked like for the father who loved his son so dearly? The God who created these little beings down there who were smashing his son? Who were killing him in a shameful, brutal fashion? You know what it would have looked like for God not to forgive them at that moment? You know what the capacity of God to defend his son could have been at that time? I mean, God answered Jesus' prayer. I mean, God, God had mercy. And he allowed things to play out in a way so that, you know, people went from that, and for days to come, they had an opportunity to contemplate that. There was a centurion that said, man, you know, that, actually, that, that, was, that was the son of God. We're going to look at the next thing. There, there, was, there was another one of the criminals next to him. They started out by making fun of Jesus as well. He was one of the ones that mocked Jesus. He was one of the ones that derided him. He said, hey, you know, you're God. You did all these miracles. Do another miracle for us. Get yourself on this now. Could Jesus have done that? Jesus could have gone down that jam, no problem. Could God have said, no, I'm not going to let him do this, my son. Forget this. You know, good thing. I mean, whatever. You know, lightning whole swallows them off. I mean, God could have done any of that stuff. But Jesus said, Father, remember Jesus is in, in, in the, he's on the same page as his Father. So he's saying, you know, Father, I'm praying, I know, it's according to your will. Can we, can we continue to work with these, 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 these people? <laughs> can we continue to draw them to, 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 to ourselves? Can we give them another chance here? And that, to this day, endures as something so powerful that not only can we not totally comprehend it at times, but it serves as an ongoing challenge to us who want to be forgiven by Him, but we don't want to forgive others. But also, it serves as an ongoing picture of the mercy of God that every single one of us should be so grateful that Jesus had that heart. You say, yeah, well, you know, I mean, those, those guys, they really need to be forgiven. It's a good thing that, that, that Jesus had that attitude at that time with them. But you know, by extension, every one of us has reaped the blessing of that prayer. Because we have all wronged God. We have all rebelled at him at times. We all need that same heart of Jesus towards us. Father, would you forgive them? They don't even fully realize what they're doing when they stray from you, Lord. They don't even fully realize it. Would you bring them the truth that would help them to realize that? Would you continue to draw them to yourself? Would you, through that powerful, just that first saying on the cross, would you help them in those times when they're struggling, when they're getting bitter, they're getting angry, there's injustice going on. There's things that would derail us in our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Would you help them to realize that Jesus set that enduring example for us? That helps us to rise above our biggest problems. The sin that breaks our fellowship with God eternally and the sin that breaks our fellowship with God that he wants us to influence. In this life. And so, 
We preach Christ crucified. And we do so because, you know, ultimately, it's the only enduring message. It's the only message that holds water forever. And um, don't ever tire of studying Jesus. Because it'll help you. It'll help you every time. And it'll give you the perspective that you need uh, for this, uh, this perilous journey that we're, we're walking right now. Let's have a word first.